On today's episode is Merrick Sine. He's the VP, Head of Data Science and Analytics at Aspiration in Los Angeles. We're going to go over career paths, what data analysts need to do to keep their careers moving forward, and how to build diverse teams. Enjoy the show. Merrick, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, feel free to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, how's it going, everybody? So my name is Merrick Sine. I'm VP, Head of Data Science and Analytics at Aspiration. A little bit about myself by way of introduction, academically, background, PhD in statistics, master's in statistics, and master's in economics. I've been in the broader financial services industry over 10 plus years, various different quantitative roles, econometrics, data science, machine learning, modeling. Started from the ground up with my sleeves uh, rolled up deep into data, model building, predictive analytics, and rose through the ranks. And now I'm managing and building and leading teams, data science, data analysts, and um, I'm happy to be here on the show. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you have great background. Definitely a, a smart guy, to say the least. So, you know, I know we wanted to get into kind of uh, what you guys are working on, you know, the interesting parts and what you can share. So, you know, kind of give us a, a high level overview of kind of the challenges and, and problems you guys are, are working on right now. Yeah, for sure. It's a great question. So what we're up to today, like some of the things that I want to really highlight, we're using predictive analytics and predictive modeling for identity and fraud risk. We're doing so in real-time environments using machine learning models, XGBoost, deployed into real-time. And during our application process for opening an account with Aspiration, we're using this in order to identify good actors versus bad actors that we want to let into the platform. So that's some of the bleeding edge kind of cool stuff that we're up to. But it doesn't take away from all the blocking and tackling around analytics that we provide from business intelligence, dashboarding, reporting. Of course, there's a ton of ad hoc analysis uh, with our data asset in order to really serve the entire enterprise, executive leadership, banking operations, finance team, our product team, as well as all the other requests that we serve the entire enterprise. How do you manage all these uh, requests coming in? I'm sure <laughs> you kind of sometimes want to put people on pause, but you know, you guys got a lot of folks coming at you in different ways, uh, different requests. How do you go about that? Jira is a lifesaver. <laughs> <laughs> We try to encourage uh, self-service on the Jira portal, putting in tickets, we'll triage and farm it out to the team. But that having been said, there's obviously times where stuff comes in through Slack, through email, through phone, what have you, but it's never a dull moment. And so um, we try to you know, serve our customers as best we can. We're willing to meet them wherever they want to kind of field those requests to us and, and just be sure that they're getting the data that they need and the analysis they need. And no more uh, knocking on your door, I guess. Uh, Not during these days. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Sounds like the Slack ping is, uh, uh-oh, who wants what, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I hear you. No, that's definitely uh, interesting what you guys are working on. You know, I know this notion right now of, you know, data science as a whole, it, it's not extremely new, but in the sense of comparing it to software engineering, it's still very new. And I know there's a lot of ambiguity when it comes to, you know, roles and, and responsibilities. And I know kind of uh, there's a, I don't know if it's officially catched on, but the citizen data scientist, kind of this pseudo data analyst, that's kind of a, a hybrid data analyst, data scientist. So I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of the current state of, you know, data analyst and kind of just let's start there. So no, that's a great question. And like, just even over my limited time span in industry, I've just seen the growth in this area and the high demand for individuals with data, you know, chops and data analytics 
and also a technology skill sets that go along with that. And if anything, I think that's only going to strengthen. It's really a matter of there's so much data available these days. We're capturing so much more data. It really then begs the question of the right individuals with the right skill set, the right mindsets in order to tease out the inference and the signal really that's buried deep within the vast amounts of data that we're capturing these days. I think conceptually still, it's kind of the hierarchy. It's an analyst, then a data scientist. And I I personally don't always think that within an org, depending on where it's at, that that's necessarily the case. Sometimes analysts are more important than a data scientist. And I think that's kind of the stigma that's there. I mean, do you see that? And and what's your opinion? Because I know, you know, everybody is always very focused on technically, but, you know, sometimes I think, you know, personally you have feelings, you know, and you kind of get this sense of like, am I less important? But to me, I, I definitely don't think that, but I'm just curious. I'm sure there's people that might feel that once in a while. So I'm just curious what your opinion is. Right. Yeah. No, fair question. I would caution folks to think about it uh, like in a hierarchical way. There are two different functions, but that having been said, there's a ton of overlap. It's just a classic kind of Venn diagram with your ellipse in the middle of the football. Ton of overlap between a data scientist role and a data analyst role. A lot of lead over. And I don't really think about them as hierarchical. They're really complementary in my mind. So I know that there's maybe that perception, but I've met really strong analysts and they just really don't have an interest necessarily in machine learning or predictive analytics, but they're really solid analysts. And that's really something to be um, proud of. And um, that talent set is really a unique talent set. So I wouldn't put them in the hierarchical phase. Every role has its responsibilities and it's critical to success, and especially on data teams. It's not just uh, you know scientists or machine learning engineers. It really, it's a team effort. I guess in that sense, where do you see kind of data analysts as a whole, kind of that role evolving to? I know there's a lot of tech that's always changing, but where do you see kind of that role evolving? And what do people need to do if they're in that position to kind of uh, make sure that they're staying on the forefront? Yeah, great question. So I really think about data analysts. They're fastly becoming the sages, if I dare say, the oracles of enterprises. (laughs) They are the go-to when leadership needs to make business decisions, but in a data-driven fashion. The very first group and teams and people that they turn to are the data folks. And that includes really solid data analysts. And, you know, just kind of circling back and tying in with your last question, For me, it boils down to a personality type that really drives that. I've met really great data scientists who maybe they don't have an inquisitive nature and then vice versa. I've met data analysts that just have an inquisitive nature that really want to peel back, you know, go one layer down, another layer, another layer into the data asset. That really is where the differentiator becomes important. So you feel like that that key distinction is that inquisitiveness, right? From being an analyst, a scientist. I mean, technically they're doing a lot of similar work, but for you personally, you feel like that's where somebody needs to make that decision, whether they're that person or not. Right, exactly. And like, let's frame it up this way. You know, somebody may have read, you know, elements of statistical learning front to cover and they've memorized the entire book and that's great. If that's not also coupled with like an intellectual curiosity and a inquisitiveness around the data asset to continue to push further and further and deeper down in, I think there's some room for improvement there. Vice versa, somebody may have you know, no exposure to you know, kind of the formal machine learning, predictive analytics, but it's just really that personality type that's that intellectual curiosity and just willingness to continue to push into the data asset further and further in order to really uncover the deep insights. 
And from your experience, the the analysts that you feel like have done a really good job in being inquisitive, you know, there's that notion of you can be too inquisitive and the curiosity kill the cat and you can borderline be annoying. So how does somebody straddle that line of, you know, not pressing people, but also pressing people to get what they want and also kind of ask the right questions to get to the right data? Yeah, great question. And so the next thing that I'll highlight would be business acumen is that knowing when I've delved deep enough into this problem, I've uncovered as many layers as I can, but keep bearing in mind the business acumen. So staying laser focused on the key goals and objectives of the business in order to come up with a data asset and inference and insights into the data that can provide business with those decisions that they need to make from that data-driven standpoint. So it's business acumen coupled with that inquisitiveness and that intellectual curiosity. Yeah, what would you say, you know, there's some analysts and I think even some data scientists that could probably benefit. So, you know, you're technically strong and you get it. You understand that you need to be stronger from a business perspective. But then you're like, okay, you're looking around for help for, uh, you know, a lifeline. What advice do you have for people to strengthen that side where everybody knows it needs to be there, but there's not a lot of information out there to improve it? Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that really comes from, you know, it's that domain expertise, becoming that subject matter expert at whatever shop you're at. Almost always when we do, you know, at the beginning of the year, we set out goals for the year, almost perennially every year. And it's actually on my goals too, which is learn the business better. Usually our technical chops are pretty, yes, like, hey, I want to go learn how to use PyTorch. Great. That's a good one. But what has to also be in there in that key goal for that objective for that year is just learn the business better. And anybody who comes to you and just says, no, I know this business in and out. I don't buy it. We can always go further and learn more about the business. So how do you accomplish that? There's not a course. I mean, you can't generally because it's like it's shop specific. It's engaging with the different folks in the enterprise. Don't be siloed up. Make sure that you engage with the product folks. Make sure you engage with the finance folks to really kind of delve in and understand, you know, what is driving the business? There's a really quick anecdote. I came straight out of grad school. I was lucky I landed a great role, quantitative role at Bank of America. One of the directors kind of was working with me and I'm pounding away coding and he's kind of looking over my shoulder and he's amazed at the cool things that I'm peeling out of the data. And I'm like, do you see this? Do you see this? And he's like, this is great. Like, this is great. Keep going, keep going. He paused the moment. He goes, Merrick, do you know how the bank earns money? And I kind of had to say, you know, like, I think so. Like, I mean, I have, you know, smart guy, I'm pretty sure. But like, you know what? I didn't have that course in grad school. Do you mind kind of sharing with me? And I think it's those moments where you engage with people who can share the business insights. It makes for a more holistic understanding of the business. And it adds value to the analysis that we perform as data analysts and data scientists. Yeah, no, I think without a doubt, when you're able to tie both sides, I think the eyes that you look at the data and the questions that you're looking to ask or ascertain just the quality improves amazingly. I do think one thing that I've heard as a suggestion, and I don't know if you guys do it, but you know, literally saying, hey, we're trying to have an initiative where my team is trying to understand the business better. So I guess now it wouldn't be lunch and learns or you know, having lunch with you know some member of uh, the product team or you know, uh, engineering team or whoever. But that could be something that I think really helps. And I think, you know, if you're a data analyst or scientist and you reach out to anybody in any of those departments, I mean, I'd be hard pressed to think they don't want to improve your understanding of the business. You know, you just have to ask. And I think that's the thing people fail to sometimes do is they sit in the corner and they're, I need to know X. They're just a little bit gun shy to just ask. 
Yeah, for sure. And that requires on the flip side, it's like the other business leaders is making sure is being proactive and reaching out to the, especially people who are coming in and they're onboarding, like let's link up and spend some time. And especially nowadays, what I found I'm having to force the water cooler conversations by calendaring them up because they don't happen organically in these times. So are you guys doing more, I guess, more formal touch bases? I mean, I'm sure you're getting pinged a lot more than you would when you're in the office, but what are you doing, as you said, to kind of uh, stimulate the group, you know, kind of collectively getting together and discussing things? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's both formal and informal. You know, I don't like overloading the calendar with too many unnecessary meetings, but we obviously have the team meetings, we have the one-on-ones, but then obviously like the ad hoc pull-ups, the drive-by, so to say, just really trying to be generous with time, especially for those that are, you know, they're more junior, they're learning and they want to ramp up. That's how we force multiply. That's how we build a stronger team all together, which is knowledge share. It does the enterprise some good, the amount of knowledge that's kind of locked up in my brain. It does the enterprise some good. What really benefits is where we begin to share that knowledge and disseminate that knowledge across the organization. That's where you kind of see that force multiplier. I agree with that. I think uh, getting what's in your head out it's a lot harder than people think. It is very difficult. If you try to actually sit there and write down kind of the process you go, especially in your position, just managing, you'd be surprised at, you know, how many pieces of paper that's going to take over. But yeah, I think uh, translating that into the whole of the group being successful, obviously, is going to make you guys stronger than just uh, one person. So I agree with that, definitely. What's interesting, I guess, moving on to kind of tying in, for you, I know building a diverse team is critical for success, but also kind of making sure kind of, you know, everybody's fitting the right pieces. Talk to us about kind of what you look for, you know, building out your team, kind of what are those key components as you kind of build? Yeah. And I've had a ton of success now building teams from the ground up. And one thing that is absolutely on the forefront, which is diversity across a lot of different you know fronts, of course, cultural background, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, of course, diversity across all that. Another feature that I absolutely try to build teams around, which is diversity of life experiences, both professionally and non-professionally, and also academic background as well. You know, I think the, like, my technical academic training is statistics. I dare say that I want to surround myself with a ton of other statisticians. Well, we are going to be susceptible to blind spots and groupthink. What I would much rather have is somebody that approaches the problem from, you know, a physics background or an applied math or an engineering or a formal data science program, which are more popular nowadays, not when I was in school, but nonetheless. So it's diversity across a lot of those different channels in order to build a team that views problems through different angles and different lenses. That leads to, in my experience, a better final deliverable for a lot of the projects that I've been involved with. Yeah, no, I think uh, without a doubt, I think the more perspectives you're able to bring to the table, you have different users regardless, right? So it's going to help the end product because now you have internally different users per se that know the persona of the people that are using your product or potentially going to be using your services. So I think that diversity, just from a technical perspective and also just thought process, going back to what you said, it's solving problems and it's having that business acumen. So just having that diversity is definitely going to help you guys get there a lot stronger. I guess when you are looking at hiring the next person on, you got your current team, you have a set of skills that you're looking for. What else are you looking for to put that person into this team? I mean, is it just literally, hey, I need these check boxes. This person has it. I mean, what kind of, you know, 
other things do you look for when you're trying to add to your team? Yeah, great question. You know, as much as we approach things from a technical standpoint in our line of business, I'm going to have to say that almost I put ahead of that is culture fit. And that's just so important. If you have ever been in and amongst teams where you can just feel the culture just isn't right, there's not a mesh, there's not a good energy and a good vibe, it just leads to not a great outcome in terms of business deliverables. And it also just makes the day-to-day work environment tough. And so what I really try to put preeminent, and I ask my team, I really lean on my current team. When we bring in anybody new, please, let's make sure there's a culture fit. How did you vibe? How did you connect? How did the conversation go? Were they easy to talk with? We know we're going to test them like, hey, how are your Python skills? Hey, how are your SQL skills? That's easier to assess somebody. We can tease out really quickly if somebody's going to be strong in those areas or not. What's really subtle is making sure that this person's going to be high horsepower. They're going to be high horsepower, but coupled with like a low ego. So low ego, high horsepower, perfect combination. That's really our sweet spot. That's a great combination. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes you want the best horse in the race, but when it's a collective team effort, you know, everybody has to seemingly get along. And I guess for you culturally, what kind of qualities do you look for? I mean, I know it's tough. You want somebody to follow direction, but you also want somebody to maybe not challenge, but, you know, press the envelope a little bit. So how do you assess kind of that combination? It's a tricky balance. And you definitely want folks who are, I think, coachable and open and receptive to coaching, as I am myself. Obviously, there are times when a manager has told me, hey, like, you know, we're a little off the mark on this. And you have to take that in stride and understand, like, okay, there's opportunity there. And that coaching is valuable. So you need the coaching. But then at the same time, absolutely, you want somebody who's going to come in and press that envelope and be willing to kind of be assertive and kind of challenge the status quo. And how can we do things better? And like, why are we looking at it this lens? Let's look through it this way. You absolutely need that. And it's tricky to tease that out during the interview process. But I've been pretty successful leaning on the teams around me that like, we all kind of know that we need that quality in people as they come in. And I've been pretty good about teasing that out, especially leaning on my teams in the past for helping to identify folks who have those qualities. Yeah, it makes sense. I was curious, after an interview, what's your guys' uh, debrief? Is it right after the interview? Or what do you guys do to kind of collectively get everybody's uh, opinions and thoughts? So the process is pretty standard. I've used it throughout. Um, I learned it way back when during my Zest Finance days, but it's a pretty standard process. Everybody must submit their individual feedback without bias independently prior to coming together. And then come on, as soon as we kind of get the last one in, we do try to, you know, get regrouped, if not that same day, within the next day, because it's still fresh and our impressions are so fresh. And we just go around the horn, just ask everybody like, hey, like, what was your take? And I try to hang back and don't give my input first because I definitely want to hear from the team. I don't want to bias anybody. And so I love to get that feedback that's fresh to your point, same day, day after ideally, but also independent. And I've, I asked the team, hey, please, let's not talk to each other about candidates after until we kind of all come together at the roundtable. Been pretty good with that program. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, kind of the best way to go about it. That's how internally we work. And I was reading an article a while back about a NFL team with their scouts and kind of how they go about for the draft. And, and everybody does the same thing. They scorecard the person independently and then come together because obviously you can definitely get a couple different buys. The one thing that I we try to do is debrief the next day. I feel like it's kind of like when you watch a movie 
you're like, wow, that was the best movie ever. <laughs> and you, you give it like a day or two, you're like, yeah, you know what? It's actually not that great. So, you know, it's kind of that quick knee-jerk reaction to somebody. But no, I think having a good assessment process in place, I think is critical to your point. You know, culture fit is so, it's a bit ambiguous compared to the technical side. But I think to your point, when you have kind of a process in place and the team knows to find the right culture fit, we got to follow this process and this procedure, then I think it gives you the best chance to kind of get there. And I guess for you, building a team from scratch it's something that not everybody gets the opportunity to do just because they might walk into a team that's already built. When you're looking to build that team out, like what's your thought process going in? Kind of, I'd be curious if you could walk us through kind of that day one process and then kind of that 30, 60, 90 outlook. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, like first and foremost is just getting a read of the lay of the land and finding out what are, you know, the requirements. Are we primarily in lack of predictive analytics and data science? Are we primarily in lack of business intelligence and reporting? It's understanding what are the needs and what are the requirements first and foremost? Let's not go try to build a team in the absence of like, well, what's lacking? What do we need? And I've had the experience on the pleasure of really kind of going down both those routes, which is identifying very quickly, we clearly need predictive analytics that requisites um, a certain type of person. We need some data engineering that requisites a certain type of talent. We need some business intelligence, some reporting data analysts, and really just quickly identifying that. And you do that just through, you know, working closely over that first 30, 60, 90 days, like you said, pairing closely with the other business leaders, understanding their requirements, understanding what they need, what's missing, where would they like to see things go. That having been said, also kind of looking out a little bit over the horizon, which is like, what's the next thing after that? After that kind of first build, what kind of talent do we bring in? And then what do we need that's going to not just get us good for like the next, you know, 12 months, but what's going to get us good for the next 24, 36 months as well. And do you feel like when you're kind of outlining this business plan to the executives, having that 30, 60, 90, and then also that 12, 24 month outlook, does that really then crystallize for them? And also it helps you in the role in 12 months to go back. I mean, is that kind of your strategy of putting that all out there? Yeah, for sure. I think it's great. And I think it's really beneficial internally it presses one to put it down on paper, delineate it. It gives you pause and you think it through and it's more strategic and it's less tactical. It forces you to kind of put paper to pen, so to say. And so for that reason, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. And then you also get an ability to take that plan, take it back to business leadership, obviously get feedback, get their input, but it really, it, that process around doing that is really vital. So essentially, you're taking the data analyst skills into play going into building a team. And it sounds like uh, reverse engineering it, always working backwards, is a good way to uh, become successful. That's a good way to put it. I like that, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> hey, you got the skills. If you're not using it, you know it's not good to be hypocritical. <laughs> so, hey, Merrick, if somebody down the road out there wants to get in touch, is LinkedIn the best way to ping you? Absolutely. Yeah, please do. Great. Well, we really appreciate your time. Uh, It was a great episode. Thanks for sharing your insights. So again, if you want to reach out to Merrick, he's on LinkedIn. You can find him. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.